0: We're the Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers number 1. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston
1: Oilers number 1. Hello everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. Tonight, I'm joined by Brandon K. Scott with 610 Sports Radio to discuss the Texans-Jets' uh, miserable affair from last Sunday. How are you doing, Brandon?
0: I'm doing a lot better now that I'm not at that miserable affair anymore, man. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a rough watch, uh, both inside and outside the stadium. So the quicker I got home, the better off I was. But I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to do this. I know we've talked a, a long time on the internet through text, like through and that sort of thing, but it's gonna have an actual, you know, long, long conversation about this football team that we watched so much of for all these years.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, and and just the the difference of where the football team was probably when we first started doing this, and or just where they've been to where they are now, like. This is epically bad. This is worse than (laughs) anything that I can remember. Like at least, and at least when like Matt Schaub was throwing pick sixes every week, you know, what was it? Eight. No, was it like eight years ago now? At least that was like, it was cringeworthy, but it was kind of interesting. It's like, is he going to throw another one? Is this really happening? You know? And, and it was just like a sad thing for Texans fan, but there was some, there was something compelling about that where it's like, you watch the football here and you're like, man, what, i get excited about what can i really latch on to other than you know the you know, the the five rookie the four i guess just the three rookies they really produce you know it's just like really grasping for straws right now
1: yeah and i guess that the shopping kind of entered this ice again this week because matthew Stafford threw three uh, pick six three straight games in los angeles and he first quarterback to do that job and like that that season was weird mainly because you know you had the loss to New England, and you expect for them to still be like at least a Super Bowl contender. And there's some questions about Shop's arm strength and how much it was because of a, a possible injury, how much it wasn't. And then the text on those two close games in overtime to a bad Chargers team, and a bad Titans team, and there are two now it's right. like they may be bad though, and they proceeded 14 games after that where all those awful things happened, like you know Matt Chubb's pick sixes and Gary at collapsing at halftime and right. Case Keenum and. I mean, there. I wrote like I wrote some all the all that long time ago, uh, like all the bad things that happened here, and I made it to put it up with uh, you know, because of the times that we're currently in.
0: Yeah, you know, totally. I, I just I think back on the thing you mentioned the Kubiak thing. Like that seems so long ago. Uh, but you know, that's one of the things that stands out to me is like, man, this team is so bad, and then on top of that, they're the coaches like having a mild stroke on on the field. You know, it's just. It was just all bad. And then somehow, somehow, that isn't even as bad as like what we're watching right now. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a it's the damnest thing.
1: And that game still had Case Keenum like throwing for 250 yards and like two touchdowns mm-hmm. and that big touchdown, you know, Andre Johnson. And also that season had the synthet- synthetic marijuana gate as well, too. Oh yeah, I forgot about Lemer and others got kicked out. Yeah. yeah I think the yeah, difference yeah. between uh, I think yeah. the difference between this year, though, and, like, those previous years is that, like, at least in 2013, we kind of knew, well, it's a talented team that just set for a lot of bad luck. And they get a quarterback, they're going to be good again. And then they got Brian Fitzpatrick, and they got Brian Hoyer, and then Bill Brown, you know, wasted a really great defense because of that. And then even, like, last year, this team was really bad. It was like, well, we have Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson's a top-five franchise quarterback. And if you build it, it's really easy to build a team around him and once they do that. They're going to be back to being a Super Bowl, Super Bowl contending team. And they should be like a good team for a long time to come because of how good Watson is. This year is different because this year was uh, offseason loaded with, well, you know, about competition and culture and team and signing a bunch of veterans and delaying the rebuild. And kind of from what like they thought they were going to be good this year or not necessarily being good, that maybe they had a slight chance that Watson's back, which no, I really believe from the outside perspective And uh, and like all that's boiled down to being a really bad football team that wasted a year to get better for the future because of you know whatever decisions they want to make to rebuild the culture. And so it's not like a lie at the end of the tunnel this year like it was those previous years, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's more it's more questions than answers, and I think that's probably the frustrating part. You know, not just the it's not even just the quarterback uncertainty. I mean, that's a big part of it obviously like not having a quarterback and then also having the one, but not knowing exactly like how that's going to shake out, you know, what are you going to get from, for them and all of that. But it's also like, just not really understanding the rhyme or reason. I I thought initially that I kind of understood that they were just going to nickel and dime their way through the year and just try to be mildly competitive, like not, not be bad enough to where morale is down and they're like embarrassing themselves, but like put out a respectable product, bring in these retread one year, two year deal guys with something to prove. And maybe they, maybe they play like they have something to prove. And, you know, you, like I said, nickel and dime, your way to four or five wins. And I mean, you look at it and even in retrospect, you're like, man, that, that, that never made any sense. None of it ever made any sense. Going with five running backs, and none of them being any good, you know, never made any sense. Uh, I guess the the best thing that they probably did that I was also skeptical about was bringing in Lovey Smith and, you know, this defense that I thought was antiquated and, and probably is antiquated to be clear, but, like, just the difference in the mentality, how that's helped them in, and helped change the team, and what the defense looks like, like, that's actually worked out a lot better than I would have ever guessed. Um, but then on the other end of that, the offense is just like, you know, I, I know that Bill O'Brien never had like a, a great offense, you know. So, and so by proxy, Tim Kelly's never called a great offense or never been part of a great offense. But I, I thought that they would at least be somewhat respectable or just a, a little bit better in what the, the, their stated identity, running the ball, um, the, the offensive line, which all this stuff I know we're going to get into. And like just none of that stuff worked out. None of, none of the things that they tried, especially on the offensive side of the ball, has worked out.
1: Yeah, I I think that's kind of a, I think it's a really good point because it's something I didn't think about as far as, like, what to think about the season. I think one of the things that you mentioned is, like, having respectable product, you know, like, playing, you know, game playing, like, good teams, like, tough a little bit, beating some bad teams, winning five or six games. And, like, if you do that with everybody, like, as Philip Lindsay loved to talk about in the offseason, like, everybody counting against them and how much it it fuels them and all that. And, like, whenever you have that sort of down negativity, you like, you turn that into something that's a typical pro-athlete trope. But I, I think that was kind of like the idea of the season, though. Like, if we get these guys, if we play competitively enough games, if we you know, surprise the team, too, if we win five or six games, like, that's something that wasn't expected for, you know, the talent that we have and where we're at in our life cycle as a team. And if we trade wide we can get a top draft pick like anyways, that, like, lends itself to, like, the culture and what we could build on to you know, going forward into the future. And this year hasn't been that at all. You know, like, aside from the win against Jacksonville, um, every like the game against Tennessee, they forced five turnovers to pull that off. It's not only like they're losing, but it's just like how bad they've lost and how like miserable the losses have been. Like losing to Miami and, and Jacoby Brissett because they didn't oh. know how to pick up a blitz, or losing this week to the worst team in the AFC against the Jets because the Jets made offensive changes the Texans failed to do. So and Tim Kelly didn't understand like how to attack a Jets defense and play like a real conservative, you know, Bill Ryan sort of offense. So whenever you're you're missing that that part of it like it's not only did they delay a rebuild for you know this idea that they become something a little bit different they did that and then what the results they got were were somehow like the results you'd expect if you were the Jets or Jaguars or a team that was actually marred in a rebuild you know
0: yeah man and and you mentioned a moment ago about losing to Jacoby Brissett and the Dolphins because you can't pick up a blitz how on earth do you how do you form or or put together such a veteran team, one of the oldest teams in the league? And like, you can't do simple things like pick up blitz as well. You're heavily penalized, you know, and I know that there's some annoyance around here or definitely here at the station about them talking too much about the penalties. Like there's actual coaching and, uh, and like talent issues that probably are bigger than just penalties and, There are teams that have more talent and that are better coached that overcome penalties every week or turnovers or whatever it may be. But it's weird that you would form a team, build a team in this image. It'd be a veteran team, one that at the very least, like I thought at the very least, those would be the things that they would do well. Like there are no world beaters. There's not like any discernible talent on the team to speak of, right, you know, unless you count the rookies that you were wanting to see what, you know, what do they have? But, like, going into the season, what you were expecting, not a lot of talent there. You figure at least, okay, they'll be, they'll play, you know, the cliches, assignment, sound, football. You know, they'll be aligned correctly. They'll, they won't be heavily penalized. They'll know how to pick up a blitz. You sign five running backs, five veteran running backs, and and nobody seems to either know how to pick up a blitz or, or interested in blocking, turning down contact, like all of it, like it's just all bad, you know. You come in with these tight ends. <laughs> it's funny to me, like and I don't, I don't want to like crap on Anthony clear, but I love how he's like been painted as like the blocking tight end, and I'm just like, he's not that great at that either, though. Like, like he's, I mean, I guess, I guess he's adequate, but it's, but I've seen him get like thrown around a couple of times throughout the season, and I'm like. Man, that's like their stated identity. They aren't even that, you know. Um, it's it's my, all- uh,
1: my favorite All Clear thing they would do is to start the year. They would put like two or three tight ends to on one side of the formation, and they, would, like, team, they were like daisy chain. They run outside zone, and like they were probably the best blockers though on the team. When they come to the outside zone because of how bad the rest of the offensive line was. But I love watching them do that. You know, as many times as they did, and like uh, yeah, like I think the All Clear thing, but also having a question bear in the roster because he was a marine. Trading for yeah. Ryan Izzo is something that was, like, really stupid. you watch Ryan Izzo's like, he can't block. He can't catch the ball. He can make, like, uh, spectacular catches, but he drops really easy stuff. And then they trade a fifth or sixth round pick for him, and he got cut immediately, similar like, to the Ryan Finley thing. And uh, there's this kind of like, idea, too, that, like, the, the draft sh- – like, the, um, your draft picks are like a balanced ledger. Like, you need to have seven picks and one each round. Or it's like, no, like, if you're a bad team, you should have more picks. Because they're a bad team and you need to have young talent that you can take some, like, you know, lottery tickets and find cornerstone players you can keep around. And uh, that's kind of part of it, too. But I think the tight end stuff is funny. The running back stuff is hilarious. And I think the running back stuff is only funnier because we just watched Anshell Hilliard, who is on the Texans practice squad, run for nearly 100 yards on him, have a really good game against the Patriots last week, too. This week, you see Walter Scott from Roberts University, a practice squad player who's better than Burkhead, who's better than David Johnson, who's better than Philip Lindsay, He's better than Royce Freeman. And so they paid a ton of money for a non premium position. Whenever they shouldn't do that, you can find talent at the spot from a wide variety of other resources too.
0: So you mentioned Ryan Izzo. I'd forgotten all about Ryan Izzo. Is is Jeff Driscoll's tight end ceiling, Ryan Izzo? Like Can he be... Can Jeff Driscoll be the next Ryan Izzo? Tell me, tell me, Matt, that we've got the next Ryan Izzo on our hands here in, in the Jeff Driscoll tight end project.
1: I think they're hoping to have the next uh, Logan Thomas on their hands instead. But Logan Thomas is the only quarterback tight end who's ever had a success that I can think of.
0: That ain't happening. I don't see a lick of Logan Thomas and Jeff Driscoll with all due respect. Like, that's, Logan, and that's Logan Thomas is the
1: Terminator, you know. Yeah, and, and Thomas is 30 years old and he played one year quarterback before moving yeah. over and was like an incredible athlete. I am upset though because I've been sitting around, you know, pulling all these clips and watching the film. uh I really wanted to make a collage of every uh, Jeff Driscoll snap a tight end, but they've still taken it from me. So I'm hopefully <laughs> this week or next week, I can be able to find all nine you know, Jeff Driscoll tight end snaps and give it to the people because these are these are the things that they want and care about this time of year
0: oh yeah i mean it's the simple things it's the small things the the incremental details at this point in a two and nine season that uh that get you excited so uh and hell if they're experimenting might as well chronicle I, I, it
1: i still love uh aaron wilson posted video like right uh jeff driscoll you're like a drag like in shorts right? yeah it's like just why don't you just call Kahali Waring up and get him back down here if you're going to be doing the same thing, you know? At least it yeah. looks, like, really pretty, and he's adorable in sports and a T-shirt, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I feel like they could have sold – they could have at least sold something. I don't know if tickets is the thing that they would have sold, but Kahali C- Waring at the very least looked good enough to sell something. Like, just put it on that guy and sell it.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping we see him in Buffalo at least a little bit since he's on the practice squad there. Um, but for this game, like there's two big pieces of news entering it. The first was that Justin Reed was gonna be an inactive scratch, and second was Tyus Howard's I mean, to left tackle. We really haven't seen like, you know, us as the as the plebeians outside the metasphere, you know, we haven't really seen anything as far as like a direct reason why. Um, and they really haven't said, you know, kind of directly why they made Justin Reed inactive. Do you have any additional information for us that you may maybe able to share or what's your take on the whole Justin Reed situation?
0: Yeah, it it seems like Justin Reed, long or the short of it, got sideways with a teammate, at least at least a teammate, and the coaching staff. And however the disagreement was handled, they I guess did not appreciate. But it's something that like they've been real tight lipped on it. But clearly everybody knows about it because it seems to be something that happened in front of everyone, and something that others have opinions on. Like. I know we didn't get a lot post-game from, you know, the few players that commented on it. Tyrod Taylor, uh, I think Jonathan Renard was asked about it, Rex Burkhead, they were all asked about it. Didn't want to say a whole lot for obvious reasons, but they all know what happened. Everybody there knows what happened for sure, you know. And so I think – and I don't have it confirmed down. Like, more of what I've heard is probably more so gossip than journalism, but it's essentially a a dispute with a teammate who – Quite honestly, I, from what I understand, other other teammates, like there is a, there is a little bit of friction there, uh, and I think there are some people who probably side with Justin Reed, or at the very least, think that he, you know, had to, had the right to say what he said, uh, whatever exactly. And that's another thing. I don't know exactly what it is that he that he said. You know what what was the dispute, which is the thing we were trying to figure out. You know, I even asked Cully today, or Monday Monday morning after, uh, you know letting cooler heads prevail. Like, so like, how are, how do you expect the players to handle how do players and coaches handle these disputes that happen in in meetings? Like what is the standard and expectation that you keep talking about? Like, what is it? And and then he ended up saying something that kind of made us raise our eyebrows even more, but knowing that he wasn't going to divulge any details, but said, you know, it wasn't just a disagreement, you know, which is pretty consistent with the, you know, the feeling that there was some, you know, a little bit of more of an animated kind of back and forth there that I guess they would have deemed unacceptable. But like as far as my take on it, like I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absurd and, and and pretty petty when you're at this point, you're two and eight going into the game. So obviously two and nine now, but two and eight going into that game when you make that decision to not play one of your best players, you know, I, I think it's hard to take seriously a squad and a coaching staff, management, whatever it is that puts those type of things above winning and above competing. Like, I, I was trying to imagine, I was discussing this with some other uh, other folks in the media the other day, like, what would it have to be, what would have to be the thing that Justin Reed could do and both would do to make him, to make it reasonable to keep him out of a game? Like, you know, like what short of a felony would have to, would he have to do? You know, and so it's like, okay, cussing out the coach in front of folks, you know, um, dragging a teammate. All these things are in play could be what what would happen. But you still figure, okay, is that enough to keep a guy out of a game? You know, now, now to be clear, I don't think they were a Justin Reed away from winning the game. Justin Reed can't call better plays. Justin Reed can't get open on routes. Justin Reed does not run the ball. He doesn't play offense at all, you know, so like, and that was where their issues were. Um, you know, to be so unless he was going to get a, the the pick six to tie and or win the game, you know I don't I don't think it was that big of a difference, but just from a from an optic standpoint, I think it was Mike Meltzer who had the, the the perfect tweet, and I wish I could pull it. He had the perfect tweet about it, like basically saying hey, they should be they should be avoiding headlines. They shouldn't be trying to make the news in any way that's not necessary. Like the only time they should make the news is when they play a game and or y- these media availabilities but like don't do a thing that creates an extra headline that you don't need you're already not a very interesting team this is not the reason why you want to be interesting you know so i like I, and that's not to say that justin reads in the right and the teams and right. i have no i don't know who's right and who's wrong but i just know it, it looks petty and weird and strange when you're that bad of a football team and you're sitting one of your better players uh, in a matter of principle that's not really that's kind of vague and ambiguous. like it's not really clear like what is the principle that's being stood on. like what message are you sending? And is it and is it giving? like is it landing said message, you know, like is whatever level of uh, of accountability that they're holding Justin Reed to, does that resonate in the locker room? like like do they I know they're gonna say the right things in public, but do they really respect this? You know, knowing they had to go out there and play a football game, without one of their better players, you know, it, and and that's just on top of all the other weird stuff that's going on, switching guys positions and, you know, not having good uh, game plans or play calls and all of that, like whatever, like the legitimate football disputes and issues that they might have on top of it. You know, it's just, I, mean, I, I just, I just think it's a really bad look and, and horrible timing. Like you wait till you're two and eight to start, uh, you know, to 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 make this kind of statement, you know, like how is this any different from from Zach Cunningham, who missed was it a quarter? Did he miss a quarter, or so, how how long did he miss? Yeah,
1: something like that, and he was also benched on third downs as well, too. So he yeah. was like effectively benched, but he's like that, active. That before. was performance he was like Straight up inactive, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean he's benched on third downs because he can't cover, you know, and 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 didn't seem willing to to get better at it, you know. And that's a totally different thing. Like I get that; that makes sense. Um, but uh, Des King, I don't think was he was his a Yeah, he was the
1: one game? he was the one who got like disciplinary inactive for a okay.
0: week. Yeah. So, so that, I mean, you're talking about some of your better players. It just it it does not make a lot of sense. And uh, I'm saying this earlier too. It gives credence to the idea that you're not putting your best foot forward. Now, a lot of people don't want them to because you know Aiden Hutchinson's waiting in the wings, I guess. But at the same time, it just it it it's it's bad optics.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like the Texans this year a bit interesting for the wrong reasons. Right, and like my my biggest thing I didn't like about it was that all offseason we were kind of told by David Callahan to Casario was that this is gonna be a team that you know, or an organization structure that communicated clearly and effectively. And like, you're a legend always for asking, you know, consider the Easterby question and like, he completely dodges it and doesn't, you know, clearly answer what Easterby does at all. Like, there's your chance to answer something that's important that everybody like wants to know clearly and effectively and they feel to do so. I think like this is another example of it. Like, you want to build a roster and a culture where you, you can have disagreements where you can hash things out, where you can, you know, have an issue that may need conflict to resolve internally, but there's a respect there and there's like, you know, communication there to be able to, you know, take care of it. And it seemed like in this issue, in this circumstance where, you know, you're playing a game where I think Reed would have helped him because you watch, you know, Terrence Brooks stand 30 yards off the ball and take bad pursuit angles and look like Lonnie Johnson G out there. And yeah. Murray took some bad pursuit angles too. So I think he would like limited some some big plays or whatever, at least, but you have the opportunity to like clearly, again, communicate what happened and it's, well, we're not saying anything at all. You know, we're, it was a disagreement. We're taking care of it. That's all we're going to say about it. And I just think like even that portion of it where it probably doesn't need to lend itself to like suspension than active um, kind of goes back to like this is supposed to be a, a pillar of your organization. And it obviously isn't or you're failing at actually building the pillar that you want to build this team around.
0: Yeah, and one of the things you you mentioned, like just conflict resolution, it it makes you concerned about how does the team deal with conflict. This is again part of the reason why I asked the question that I asked Kelly on Monday is like, well, okay, so what? How does this go? How does this work? You know, and and it just seems like, hey, if there's if there's a, a heavy enough disagreement, then they're just gonna gonna make a guy inactive. You know, <laughs> I thought. Was it Saturday when I saw that Jonathan Owens was being elevated from the practice squad, and I thought, "Huh, that doesn't seem necessary." You know why (laughs) would they? You know, no disrespect to Jonathan Owens, but what's that about? Why would they do that? Then, of course, before the inactive list, the the rumblings start to go around the media. Everybody in the media knew at that, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning that hey, when the inactive's come out. Justin Reed's going to be on there, be ready. And so then, then we're all scrambling just kind of behind the scenes, behind the curtain here. That's how it worked. It got out to to all of us, all of our, all of the usuals. And we're like, Oh wow. You know, this is going to be the story of it. Like we already kind of had our stories written in our head before the damn game. It was hilarious. Uh, but yeah, I mean, conflict resolution, man, if you're going to be, if you're going to talk about culture and like, I think a lot of that is hogwash, but you know, you do, you do need a good culture. I just think that it's, it's hard to establish one when you have, so when you don't have any good players,
1: yeah, you have bad players because good right. players are what build a culture for a football team.
0: Right, right. Good players is what starts it, you know? And, and quite honestly, if you've got good players, I can sacrifice the culture quite, quite honestly. And I, I know that probably doesn't sit well with everyone, but you know, they're like, what, what was the culture for the nineties Cowboys? What was their culture? You know, there, there are books about about their escapades, you know, like the point is you don't, you don't have to be a choir boy uh, to establish a goal. You just got to be good at football and then you kind of just go from there. You deal with what you got after that. Uh, but you but again, you cannot have this conversation about culture, prioritize it and then this be what it looked like. You know, you're not able to deal with conflict. You're at odds with some of your best players uh, publicly and in ways like this. Um, like if it's going to be a situation where you're going to bench Justin Reed, make him an for a game, and it's bad enough to where he's immediately going to run to his boy Ryan Clark to put out, uh, you know, a a, a message, a video that sounded like it came straight from just like it almost sounded like he was reading a script straight <laughs> Reed. I was like, guys, he's kind here. of looking
1: at us like he was reading it like a teleprompter, too. As well,
0: it felt like you're right. It's like, oh man, you could have. I mean, I know Ryan Clark's got a lot of respect around the league and, you know, for his career and everything. But it's like, hey, man, you could have been more convincing that this was like an original thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is not an original thought at all. This is like, hey, this is my, my homeboy says that he's mad at his team and this is what he's talking about. So let me tell you all about it, you know. But mm-hmm. that, that's bad optics, though. You know, you got a guy that's respected like that for, for his career and then all of his exposure and, and the, the, the platform. Uh, from being on ESPN every day to, to say something like no one, I would be curious on how many people like I'm sure casual football fans, like, like Justin Reed's not super famous, you know, like it's, I don't, I don't feel like he's like a super well-known, like other than being Eric Reed's brother. Like I wonder how many people are even checking for Justin Reed on a weekly basis or wondering what's going on with Justin Reed, you know, like this might <laughs> this could very well be other than being Eric Reed's brother this could be the most famous thing that that's happened uh in his career uh outside of us locally who followed every snap and every game of his career so like if you have yeah. that you know that 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 is bad self exposure or, or exposing yourself where you got just or Brian Clark's out here doing videos right before an hour before kickoff and then he's t- he's talking to Mark Berman right as kickoff is happening like there's some conflict resolution that did not happen there between the two of you that led to that kind of disconnect where you would make him inactive and that his response would be to go talk to Ryan Clark and Mark Berman.
1: Yeah, I think, I think so too. And it's like, also the other part about Reed too, is he's you know, the best player in this defense and he's a free agent next year. And like, yeah. do you want to play, do you want to pay Justin Reed, you know, $10 million a year or so for like a, I mean, a defense I think is overrated because the turnovers they force and, Reads a big part of it by his performance, what they've been able to force. You know, I think he's accounted for at least five of their turnovers so far this year. And it's like, do you, do you want to do that? And if he is for your long term plan and he's a free agent next year, like how much of it does that affect his world too? And it's so like, if your culture is actively pushing out players that you want to keep around, you know, that's a problem too. And I think one of the problems that the Texans are going to have next year, like when you look at guys like Desmond King and Terrence Mitchell, and um, I guess like Neville Hughes has been a pretty good spot. But if you look at some of these guys on this, like, offense, like Chris Conley, you know, we joked about all-player earlier, but, you know, him being your best blocking tight end and being stuck, like, being a sixth offensive lineman probably isn't the best spot for him. It's, the swiveling pairs in the offensive line. Uh, this year, they just put a lot of veterans in bad bat positions that don't maximize the talents. They've changed their scheme a lot because the players are on bad. And it's, like, it's good to try new things, innovate, but, like, you're not able to, like, build a cohesive you know, team out of it, too. So I do think, like, with things like this Reed and also just like the way the season has gone from these veterans' performances, this isn't like a jumping off point to a better contract for just about all these guys too. So I do think the Texans are going to have problems next year trying to you know, build out the rest of the roster if they want to go back and get better and then do a lot of one-year contracts again too just because of how bad the season's gone these players haven't been able to necessarily build this into like a, another stage of their career.
0: Doesn't it feel like the place that you go to when you're desperate or if you have nowhere else to go? I mean, yeah, that, it's that's, like a
1: halfway house in a way.
0: Yeah, it, it feels like that. Like that's why Rex Burkhead is is RB one. That's, that's his why team, this is it's Rex his Burkhead's team. team. <laughs> that's why Danny M. Amendola can come in and supplant Anthony Miller and and Kiki Q T. You know, get rid of those guys. No, Danny Amendola. You know, it seems like the place where you can you only really go if that's where. You know, like Randall Cobb, for example. No one was ever going to pay Randall Cobb, nine, what was it, $9 million a year he was making at the time?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Well, no one. That was never going to happen anywhere else. So he goes to what he later referred to as prison, uh, which is here. Um, Eric Murray is another example. You know, the, the, that type of payday was never, ever going to come. And so it makes you makes you wonder. Now, I don't think they were ever going to pay Justin Reed. I think that you know the opportunity to do that has been there. You know, I, I feel like all the intel that's necessary is there. You know, if you, you do it or don't, you know what, or get off the pot, right? So, and they have not, you know. So I, I never really thought that he was going to be back. I think this probably guarantees that he won't be back. Um, and and I I've struggled with you know even with him being one of the better players on the defense i've struggled with what his value would be what the market value would be for for justin reed exactly because it's not like he is a superstar player or like a great player even even to say that he's one of like the top safeties in the league i don't even think you can go that far but he is a good football player you know and and you know prior to this somebody that you thought of as a good, like culture guy, community guy, still, and I still view it that way, you know, community guy, all of those things that they talk about that are ancillary outside of, you know, outside of the football field. So like he brings it in in all of these different ways that seem to make sense. And of course he's one of your guys, one of your homegrown guys. Like you, you want,
1: he seems like a culture guy. Yeah. He He seems like a culture
0: guy. And, And you want it to be the case that when you draft a guy, that you're, that you're willing to give him a second contract or that he has at least giving you, giving you the, put you in the position where you have to evaluate that and decide if you're going to give him a second contract, right? Like a lot of these guys is like, duh, hell no, I'm not giving him a second contract, but he's one of the ones that gives you that, that makes you at least question that. So it's, it seems like that would be like, he would be perfectly aligned with exactly what they're trying to do and what they're trying to be about. And on top of that, being a good football player. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's it's a really, really weird place to be in where you're establishing a culture and a guy who has been a culture guy throughout his career somehow is sideways with that. You know, you think about Brandon Cooks earlier in the year, who I think is the poster child for what they're talking about. You know, but even he uh was upset with the organization with the Mark Ingram trade, you know, and they mm-hmm. had to have a come to Jesus moment, if you will, after that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's bad when you're trying to establish a culture and even the ones, the players that fit the profile for what you're trying to do still don't want to don't, don't seem to fully align with it. It's like, okay, yeah. so what are we, what are you doing here?
1: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I I have the problem for Justin Reed is that he never played football in New England, too. That's a big part of the culture as well. But like, I do think Reed's like a, you know, it's top 12, you know, safety we include. like Well, maybe not tr- like top 15, we include strong and free safeties. I think we know what his role is now watching this year. like He's not a strong safety. I don't think he's a good enough tackler. He doesn't like, you know, really kind of like put the fear of God into, you know, defenders along crossing routes and that sort of thing. And uh, like, he's a, I think he's a free safety. Like he's a deep middle safety and the Texans have played cover three and they've been able to do it a little bit mainly because of how good Reed is in that spot. When they played too high, he was able to, you know, drive down and knock some balls out of guys at arms as we saw like in weeks one and two, but they can't really play cover two because, you know, they, they keep getting hit in that same spot on the corner and Eric Curry's not very good. And Johnson jr. Is bad at it. And more importantly, they don't have the, they don't have the front four pass rush. To be able to play right. cover two, so and they also can't stop the run very well. So they had to play cover three, get another guy in the box too. But I think Leary can play like too high, like play a cover four defense or play single high to cover three defense, and you know there's value in that. But the Texans with such a you know change in their offensive scheme, where Lee Smith has played cover two to cover three, and now he's playing a lot of man coverage and trying to blitz, and now they're running a little bit of everything after being this like you know, dinosaur Jurassic defense that. Levy Smith like kind of realized doesn't work at all in the NFL, which you know we could have told him you know six months ago if he asked us at all, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, it 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 did shock me that it took him that long to like dial up a blitz. Like, like it, why it like I like
1: think seven weeks. It why wasn't to the Miami game weeks. that they did.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, you know what, this might it might work it, if for no other reason, not just the pressure, but just to give us a different look to make like, oh, oh, they might do that. Whereas, you know, they had been predictable and, you know, the opposing offense has never considered they might might do that because Levy was given the same look every single time. And then the part that you mentioned, like, to the point about the safeties, you know, I I said that I don't know how, like, if he's one of the top safeties in the league, but I think that you could make the case that he's the only, like, even replacement level or, like standard level safety that they have on the team. I mean, they—they like like they were running Lonnie Johnson out there, and he, I mean, he didn't even seem like he wanted to be in the play, like he, the as, as far back as he was playing when, whenever they give cover two looks, you're thinking, okay, well, not that, like don't get beat deep, but like not that damn deep. You know what it reminded me of, honestly, Matt? When training camp, when it was, when we were at training camp, And Lonnie, I don't know if he was because he's getting vaccinated or what it was, but there was like a ramp up period where like he wasn't practicing for a couple of days. And then once they bring him in there, they got him practicing a little bit. Uh, And this was around the time when like, you know, Deshaun Watson's in and scout team safety or whatever, that kind of thing. You know, we're having fun with that. And like Lonnie's out there, you know, you're running a drill. And Lonnie's standing at the goalpost. Like say they're, let's just put them. At the 30-yard line, close to, you know, close to the end zone. And Lonnie's standing there at the goalpost with safety's coach Greg Jackson, like nowhere near the play. And I'm thinking, okay, he's he's coaching them up, telling them what to do. And, you know, you know, getting them right, getting Lonnie right. First full season at safety, let's see how it goes. And then I look up and the 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 actual like when he actually gets in the game and you see how far back he's playing and he's like was that what they were coaching him to do the whole time to like to like almost be like you're not even in the play because he's standing in the exact same spot that he was in training camp when he wasn't a part of the drill and he was just standing next to greg jackson just talking just chatting it up and and trying to get right you know so uh, his play made me think a lot of where he stood in training camp when he wasn't even part of a play or part of a drill.
1: That's hilarious. I didn't know that. I've been called right field safety for the last, you know, two years or so. <laughs> That's he's, like picking, he's picking daisies out there. But like, I mean, I've, I've wrote about the Texans 19 draft class earlier this year. And like, I kind of feel bad for Bonnie in the sense of like, he wasn't good at Kentucky and he was a body and the Texans coaching staff Brian did an awful job at developing young players. And they moved them around a lot. And this coaching staff has moved them around a lot too. Like I always kind of liked him as the idea of like being a physical press man corner a like, cover two defense or cover three defense where he's just like yeah. tall and runs vertical routes and swats passes out of the air. Like he's never gonna be a man coverage corner. He was never going to be um, like a, like a real cerebral safety at all. And the pursuit angles kind of showed that a lot this year too. And so we saw one snap that I remember about the camera. There you go. I saw one snap that I saw him out there at safety where he, like, ran on the flat that Zach Wilson missed, out, and that was cool. And we kind of out there once, so he does play cornerback now. Uh, and we know that from this game. So, like, looking at this defense, Brandon, which defenders would you want to see back next year on it?
0: Well, so I mean, obviously, I want to see Justin Reed back. I don't think that's going to happen. We went through that already. Outside of that, like, I Jonathan Bernard's probably been their best defender. I think it's probably safe to say he's been their their best, certainly their best guy up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, him and Malik. I would like to see Malik Collins back, but I think he's played his way out of here more than like. Like if he wants to go, I think he's put up a, <laughs> a, 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 enough good tape to where he could get out of here if he wants to. So, I'd like to see him back, but I don't think that he will be. Uh, Roy Lopez, I think, does some really good things in the run game, um, and and plays a lot. Older and more mature than what he obviously is being a rookie. Uh, so, I mean, those are a few guys up front. I think in the secondary, Des King, man, I, I don't feel I feel like he's gotten better. You know, like his the at least the game, the performances have gotten better. Because when they first moved him from uh from nickel corner to uh to, to outside, it's like man, that guy is not an outside corner. That's a horrible idea or maybe even more so it's just indicative of how bad they were at that position to begin with, where they felt like they needed to do that. You know, you're rolling Vernon Hargraves out there, you know, maybe like, maybe that's how you explain it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's
1: like an accident. They purposely rolled out Vernon Hargraves out there. On
0: purpose. On purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you figure, okay, what are we doing there? But I think he's come along. uh, So, I mean, that would be somebody in for no other reason because, he he can give you something in the return game as well. But I would say if I had to list them in order, I'd go Grenard. I'm not I'm not out on Ross Blacklock yet, even though I don't I think he's it's probably fair to say that he's been mostly a disappointment. But I'm not out on him. I've seen enough flashes. On he, I mean, he's played some good football, even on Sunday. He in was that really game. good
1: last week. Last week I think yeah. his best game of career against the Titans. Like the Titans have a yeah. good offensive line. It wasn't like the tight ends like fifth and sixth straight offensive lineman out there. It was just Burr and 7 Eight Davis, and he had the best game of his career out there uh, last week.
0: Yeah, well, I even thought he got a little pressure before the boneheaded penalties. You know, that that's going to be the story and the like the the resonating moment from the game. The thing that will be your lasting memory is how you screwed up and, and lined up all sides or jumped all sides. And you're thinking, okay oh, here we go again, Ross Blacklock. But, like, before that, I thought he was actually playing pretty well. I thought he was kind of flashing, and no one was, probably no one's going to remember it or care uh, because the other things were more costly and, and just more noteworthy. But I would keep him around. Bernard, Blacklock, Roy Lopez. Um, the linebackers, I feel like, are replaceable. You know, like, I, yeah. I know that was a big talk, you know, and it's Lovey Smith defense and, you know, linebacker focus. Ah, uh, Neville Hugh. Neville Hughes has been fine. I know Kyle Gr- Gruzier Hill's made a lot of plays, but he's also kind of small, you know, and gets beat up at times. Uh, like when he's not making plays, it's like he's getting beat up. And so I'm just like, ah, I, don't, I don't know if I've got to have any of those guys back. You know, Zach Cunningham. I'd love to. I I wish that his sort of public perception didn't have to go down the way it did this year because i thought that would have been a decent or i like to think that would have been a decent trade chip uh but i have no idea what his trade value would be you know um, an overpaid inside linebacker i have like i don't know i don't know what what that what the going rate is for that uh but i don't i don't have to see him back necessarily um as athletic as he is and as good as he is against the run like i could I could just do a whole new slate of linebackers. Uh, they're all replacement level for me, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd just go. I'd go those guys on the defensive line for sure. Grenard, uh, Ross Blacklock, Roy Lopez, um, and draft Eric Stingley if you don't get the number two pick. If you're if you're not able to get Aiden Hutchinson,
1: yeah. I'll, so that's I kind of same list too. I have Lopez, Blacklock, Colin Grenard. I have Grugier Hill. I think Grugier Hill be better at Will linebacker, they can't play him there because at Cunningham. And like I don't know what you do with Cunningham too. Like Cunningham was a guy I talked about for a few years that he was really good with, you know, Watt and Clowney. And you know that wide old, you know, guard out there because he was just like chasing tackle from the backside. But last yeah. year they make him a, a middle linebacker when once McKinney went out. And this year they tried to put him back at Will and just has some work to get into because, you know, he just isn't chasing and tackling, but he's made, like, at least he's been more downhill the past yeah. two weeks and has made some plays in the backfield, um, but he's always been bad coverage, too, and then I would keep Gruje hill though. I mean, he's probably been my favorite defensive signing this year, just because of how, you know, like, dumb I thought it was to sign coverage linebacker getting covered, but he's a really smart player, um, yeah. and, like, I like his press conferences, too. Like, he really wants to win. He seems like he's working really hard, and the deck has a lot of time to all that, and I don't know. He's been enjoyable whenever I watch everybody you know, post the the Twitter clips for us. And I would keep one defensive back aside from Justin Reed. You know, I think King would be good as a as a slot corner where he's playing zone coverage, but that hasn't worked out. But him and Mitchell both been, you know, gruesome. Now they've had to play more man coverage. And like King has had one good game at outside corner against Tennessee, against like the fourth, fifth, and sixth wide receivers. The the Titans have too. But uh, like at least there's like a middle, you know, you kind of see there, and you can find linebackers, and you can you can you know, draft cornerback. But I think like with the front, you know, I you and I agree, that there's like talent on the front um, right now. They just have an impact player, and like I think Greenard could be like the third best player in a front seven. But uh, they could need a guy like you know Hutchinson or Thibodeau or whoever else in this draft can be like an impact, like consistently make plays behind the line of scrimmage, sort of uh, defensive you know, front seven player. And you know, before that was supposed to be clowny to bridge gap from the post watt years, but that didn't happen. So now it's a, it who's a high draft to try and make that occur nowadays.
0: Yeah, man, I, I honestly, I look at the defense and I'm actually like a little bit encouraged by, you know, them, you know, them hitting on uh, Malik Collins. And I'm thinking like, so my my big reservation, I think I was saying this earlier, is the guys that I would want to retain that are, that are not the young guys. So the Malik Collins, Desmond King, guys like that. And and I agree with you with with, with Gruger Hill. I I think he's really been really fun to why He also is the perfect, uh, the perfect. Uh, I think symbol for the culture for that Nick they're trying to Syria, build. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like like he he fits the mold of hey, you know, good football player plus this culture thing. Like like Brandon, I know he's not as good of a player as Brandon Cooks as a wide receiver, but you get what I'm saying. Like, hey, can play football and is this thing? You know, but again, I, I do concern, I do have concerns of going back to the point earlier of if this is the place where people go only when they're desperate and when they don't have other options, and if there are other options for Desmond King or for Malik Collins to get out of here, and then maybe go play for you know if it's not just a winning team, but just one that doesn't maybe one that doesn't bench some of their best players, you know, twelve weeks into the season over a disagreement. You know, it could be yeah could be a number of things. Um, so I wonder if they if if these guys have played their way out of here um and, and have done the prove it thing, the, the thing that you come here to do basically if you sign a one year deal is prove that you still work <laughs> in the league. It's it's and, like a and, juco
1: thing, you know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, I I was selling weed on my dorm room and I got kicked out of, yep. you know, this school. So I'm going to go, you know, to, to, uh, to blend or whatever. I'm a crush. I stole, it. A, I stole the laptop. Yeah. get my scholarship again. I don't think King has a lot of options. Though. I think King just like, he hasn't even been negative like, as well too. But I think yeah. Collins definitely does. And like, I don't know. I even like Collins too. you can probably overpay to keep them. It's fine because like Collins is the thing they've needed since Antonio Smith retired they kind of finally found it after everybody else has left as well, too. Um, you know, the defense, one of the things I wanted to say about it tonight is like, it's kind of funny with fan bases. Whenever they find staff stat that fits the narrative they want, that says things about their team, all of a sudden they love it. And my example of is it was whenever the Texas Rangers won the AL West because they won a ton of one-score games that year. And all Astros fans were talking about how, like, oh, it's fluky fluke, they can't do it again. And it's like, well, why don't you feel the same way about the Texans who just won a ton of score games, and there's always reasons why it doesn't work out like that. And so now it's Texans fans who all of a sudden love DVOA after you know, bemoaning DVOA whenever Deshaun Watson was leading like, the 18th best offense at the peak of you know, Bill Brian Prowess as a as a play caller here in Houston. And so now the Texans defense is 10th in defensive DVOA, but they're 21st whenever you don't include turnovers. Uh, do you think the Texans defense has been you know, good this year, or is this just a case where they've been propped up by the sheer amount of turnovers they force, just something that you kind of expect after they only had three interceptions the year before.
0: You know, I I think that this is what the defense is. It's a, to use a cliche, it is a bend but don't break defense. I think it's designed to be exactly what it is. Not actually very good, but opportunistic and one that really focuses on getting the ball back. And you know, they're t- they're talking about. G- You know, getting in the end zone. That's the only thing they haven't done. Like the defense wants to be the offense, which Mm -hmm. when the offense sucks as bad as this one does, I'll allow it. I'm like, okay, sure. I mean, the defense as the offense can't be any worse than the offense as the offense. They're 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 last in DVOA, you know, offensively. Right. So, I mean, (laughs) when you think about it from that standpoint, it's like, okay. I I'm I am somewhat okay with this. I wish that they were, you know, more solid in certain areas, but you know, I can I can appreciate at least the fact that they talked up this good game about forcing turnovers and that being like a point of emphasis, and then they actually went out there and did it, you know, but like is the defense actually good? Uh, I don't know. But I, I'll I'll give them this much credit though. They're opportunistic and they're obviously getting turnovers. We all see that. But I think they're also giving the offense a a chance, you know, at least a chance to stay alive, you know, um, you know, holding teams to field goals. Uh, Like I I think a bad look for them on Sunday was, you know, not being able to get off the field on those fourth down attempts, you know, uh, that the Jets were able to convert on those. I thought that was a bad look for the defense. But, you know, overall, they, I mean, they are, They are exactly what I thought they would be, but better at the thing that they said that they wanted to do. So, like, I didn't think that this was going to be a lockdown, you know, didn't think it would be a great defense, but also didn't think that, like, I kind of rolled my eyes at this, oh, we're going to take the ball away every game, and we're going to, you know, just have, like, I I thought that was, for the most part, a bunch of nonsense, you know, rah-rah stuff, but they've lived up to it. So it's a bend, but don't break defense. And so like not very good, but at the same time, I think that they've, they've so overwhelmingly been the better unit. Like it's hard. Mm-hmm. It is hard for me every game to like, uh, going back to the last Colts game, I know they were about to play the Colts again, going back to the last Colts game is probably the last time I really felt like, man, this defense is awful. You know, um, ever since then, you know, I've kind of, I don't know, maybe the the Cardinals game was after that. Yeah, yeah we'll was was that
1: was the that was the yeah. line Johnson year. Uh, yeah. Run a straight line and miss tackles for a game too. Yeah. yeah, I I I agree too. Like they're they're as bad as I thought they would be. They have forced turnovers and I didn't they be able to force turnovers at the rate that they have. But like also like is kind of you know mercurial it changes every year where they were you know, Zach Wilson threw a flip pass off his running back, back and Tier Thomas got interception on that and they forced five against Miami five against Tennessee and. Those are the games that they've been close in, and the same thing with the winning in Jacksonville, they're able to force uh, three in that game too. And so this defense is good It forces turnovers, bad it does it because they struggle to get stops. And I think play by play, they've been, you know, bottom defense, but uh, just or like you know below average. I guess bomb is there's a lot of worse defenses out there. Like if you watch, you know, Jacksonville, like I did, you know, today, yeah. uh, but they're like a below average defense, but with turnovers, they like be forced five a game no matter how bad your offense is, you're going to get a, a shot there as well, too. Um, so offensively, the big news this week was that Titus Howard is now starting at left tackle. Uh, what did you think about this Titus Howard at guard experiment? Are you surprised at how long it took for Nick Casario and uh, Jack Usbury and David Coley to admit defeat that playing Titus Howard left guard was you know, a very dumb idea?
0: Yeah, so uh, I'm not even sure that they would have conceded that if like say lane taylor doesn't become healthy and and doesn't become available all of a sudden
1: and he was so, awful too and he, he just, was bad too fell around the whole game he was just like yeah. playing on soap well, you know it,
0: well he looked like a dude that hadn't played football in a long time yeah exactly you know, that's exactly what he looked like kind of it kind of reminded me a little bit of Mark, but worse but it reminded me when marcus cannon came back and it's like oh this guy this guy hasn't been playing football for a while um so mostly it, you know,
1: as well too is going through that after being out two years and staying out for COVID, having that yeah. injury two years before that like he just isn't a good football player anymore because he's been out so long
0: yeah yeah real quick before though I, I just wanted to just, just say one last thing about the defense before we get on the offense is that t- two indicators that the defense isn't any good is that they still they still can't defend the run right they're bad against the run and they still got those soft those soft spots in coverage that I think exist, and especially if you're not going to play Justin Reed, so like like those fundamental things exist and are still a problem for me with the defense. Well, the the question about Titus Howard, and so okay, I thought it was ridiculous in the beginning. Like okay, he's a serviceable he like he may not be an elite left uh, right tackle, but he's an adequate right tackle. Like you know, just turn on the tape from whatever week was it week 2 against uh, last year against uh, when he held his own against uh, uh, TJ White against the Steelers what yeah, week was it week 2 week
1: 2 it was week, week, two or two. week, th- it was week 3 cuz they lost to the week Ravens three. week 2 there you go yeah. there
0: you go week 3 so turn turn on that tape okay that that guy's a right tackle all right like i like I, I don't feel like he he's had his worst game at right tackle was probably the opener that year right against uh against Kansas City the, that first game it was probably it yeah, and, and, was
1: very bad against Cleveland also
0: yeah, but for the most part, like, he has proven himself at, at tackle, I think, at least being w- worthy of either having that spot or somebody's got to come take it. And I don't feel like that that ever happened. You know, I remember in training camp talking to Titus. His whole thing was, hey, I'll do whatever the team asked me to do. I'm one of those. He's another one of those guys, to be honest with you, uh, like culture type guys. Hey, I'll do whatever they ask me to do, but I, I do want to win my job at tackle. And I thought about that. Okay, yeah, he wants to win his job at tackle. Who's going to who's gonna beat him out for it? Like, who's going to take it? Charlie Hex is going to take it. Marcus Cannon is going to take it. Him. And it's like, no. You know, like, no. And, and sure enough, they put him at guard. And then I remember my guy, former Texans offensive lineman, Wade Smith, who works with us up here, does a lot of radio with us up here. And he convinced me on the Titus Howard at left guard. He's like, no, this can be good. Titus and Larry Thompson on the same side, this can be good. I'm like, all right, Wade, you say so, man. You play the position. Let's let's give it a shot. And Wade Wade himself will tell you, he's like, okay, yeah, Titus just has not played to the potential that I thought he had at that position. Like, you know, Wade, who knows a lot more about you know playing guard than I do, thought that Titus Howard had the tools to play guard and that it that it there were elements of it that made sense, and it just has not panned out that way. Whereas for me, I'm like, well, why even jack around with it to begin with? Why not? Why not the solution be, since you have deficiencies at guard, you can you can recognize that and realize that it was, it was a a revolving door at left guard last year between, uh between Max Sharpen and what's my man's name, uh that was rotating with him. Uh, can't even remember his name, but anyway, they were rotating at left guard last year, then right guard where they were off was Zach Fulton. Okay, they move. Max over to right. He, he's just not good at all. You know, barely useful. So why not just go get you a guard instead of making your tackle a guard? You got to tackle. You got the book in tackles. I'm not saying that they're great, but you got to well, and is is very good. Got your book in tackles. Why don't you just go get you a guard? You know, and so it never made sense to me why they felt like they needed to make the tackle the guard and then do all of these mu- musical chairs. That part never made sense to me. I do wonder though, what if, Lane Ta- what if Lane Taylor had been healthy all along? You know, what yeah. if that had worked out the way I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure they wanted it to work, that maybe he could have made it through training camp, and, you know, by the time they get to, you know, through preseason into the regular season, that he's ready to go. And the fact that he wasn't, I think that might have hurt their plans at guard because – you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to visualize this like, well, OK, so what happens when if and when Laramie Tunsil comes back and like so Lane Taylor wasn't good at guard, but do they project that he it, with mm-hmm. a couple more reps, with a couple more games that he's for sure better than Titus was, who's been awful at it, you know, and then where does that leave Titus? Do you now bump Charlie Charlie off a of right tackle and put him back at right tackle since Charlie hasn't been good there? Man, it is it is like mind-numbing to think about the like how bad it's been on the offensive line. I'm try, I am try to wrap my mind around it, and I, I really honestly get anxious about it when I think about it because I'm like, hey, this guy sucks at this. This guy sucks at that. Well, wait, he was good at this. It's like that
1: uh, It's, oh, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia meme of Charlie with all the, the cross, cross map and everything losing his mind. But, yeah, that's kind of one of the things I was wondering too. Like with, you know, Titus, he's always been a bad run blocker. But the mm-hmm. one thing he could really do is pass protect in the tackle position. And so it's like, just let him do the thing he's really good at where it's at premium. And like, he's been a good pass protector at guard. he was really good against Jeffrey Simmons last week in that role. But it's like, it doesn't matter as much at the guard position. If you can pass protect, like, you have to move the line of scrimmage. And he really mm-hmm. hasn't done that at all this year. But it took, but now, like, him playing left tackle, this is the first the chance to play his position from college where it took, you know, three years and four position changes. He's played. Eric's the Texas offensive line from the final play left tackle. And uh, and because, like, the trust me left tackle, culture, they drafted him, that partly led to the Larry Tensel trade as well, you know, and that part of it, uh, it doesn't make much sense. But, like, I think Howard should play tackle. Like, if you have to bench Hack, and, like, I think Hack's a, a fine swing tackle, he's not going to be like a week in and week out right tackle, even though I do think he's got it, you know, better every, every every week this year, except for last week, tough for him. I think it was kind of funny about. Howard, this week, left tackle, though, he gave that back against the practice spot player in the bull rush. He missed a blitz that led to a, a sack on third and 6 two. two we're supposed to block the inside guy, and he takes the defensive end, which is, like, you know, fine, because it was a tough blitz to pick up, uh, but they also tip for him a lot in the second half, and I'm watching him, yeah. like, just let him do it. He's good at this. If you're going to chip, chip for Charlie Heck, who's dealing with John Franklin Myers, who's been, like, a fringe Pro Bowl player, help him out, and so, like, that everybody hates heck for having a bad game while they're you know have uh Howard playing with the handicap at the left side, but I was happy to see I'm glad that they were forced to admit failure rather than just like admitting failure with uh Sharp being as bad as he's been bringing Lane Taylor in. But I hope Howard is able to play you know tackle for the rest of the year to come because that's his natural position, he's still on a cost effective contract, and like and he's been tougher in the run game too lately, he's been more physical. He's been a little nastier, and that's something he's always been kind of missing with him in that, in that spot this year too.
0: Yeah, and I feel like maybe they're chipping for him because because they're moving him position. I, like I know it's his natural position, but you know he hadn't been playing it for a while. They probably felt like they needed to help him out a little bit more. Um, I mean that that whole left side right is basically, you know, in a, in a, effectively new. Um, the,
1: whole, the whole the whole combination is new too.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like they,
1: they went, they went Howard at left tackle. They went Taylor at left guard. Morse at center. Who have you know really tough game It's Quinn and Williams. Like he's been unremarkable this year. He should play with Justin Britt because he's young, and like yeah. Britt's been yeah you know, below average. But uh, yep. then they have Justin McCray at right guard. He got hurt. As like their right offense this week was we're having McCray pull a lot, and we're just gonna run behind him and he was okay at it. And then Heck at right tackle until Sharpin came in for McCray after he got hurt. But they ran brand new offensive line combination. One injury. It's another brand new offensive line combination, and I think this is like their seventh or eighth one this year. After hoping that there would be some level of like you know, continuity of the new offensive line coach, and they finally found their guys and found their best spot after you know seven years of mismanaging this offensive line.
0: Do do you remember? Do you remember two years ago now? Uh oh, I don't know if you heard that. Yeah. Let's see if I see if I turn my mic down. I got some feedback. Do you remember uh, last, let's see, before the 2020 season, one of the narratives going into the year, and I'll I'll get back to Titus Howard in a minute, but one of the narratives going into the year was, for the first time in a decade, we're returning all five starters on the offensive line. (laughs) Man. That's something that's
1: very important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it felt like it at the time, and then it got out there, and it was like, oh, but they're not good. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. They're returning all five starters of the offensive line. They're not good. And then uh, so that that plays out. Going back to Titus Howard, I, I've, I've talked about this before, but it, it is so difficult. and I, I wonder, especially like for you, how you feel about this, especially knowing how that offseason going into 2019 played out like Titus Howard could have been your left tackle of your, of the future. And and, and I, th- I think you would agree with this. You don't need like an all pro left tackle necessarily. You just need an adequate left tackle. You know, he doesn't have to be Tyron Smith or, or whatever it is, whatever your example, your counterfactual is like, you just need adequate, Left And I think Titus Howard could have been that cheaper, far cheaper than like you'd already drafted him, first of all, with your own with your own first round pick. So, you know, that's a nice price for a left tackle. So but obviously cheaper than giving up all the draft picks that you gave up for Laramie Tunsil and then subsequently the contract that you had to give Laramie Tunsil. We're relitigating this thing, but watching him at left tackle makes you think about it. You know, like whether he's good or not, because you're thinking, okay, he's, hell, he's rusty; he hadn't played it in a while. You know, and, and this is a tough front that he's facing. You know, it's, there's no shame in getting beat a player or two by the Jets front that it, that is actually, you know, pretty deep, got a little talent. But you're like, man, why didn't they do that two years ago instead of throwing all of this money at throwing all this money at a problem that did exist? They did have a problem. They're running Matt Khalil out there. And like having no idea what they were gonna do at left were tackle.
1: Were you were right. you there at training camp? when Matt Khalil was out there,
0: I was not. I was I was oh, I was man. at KHOU covering from the desk at that point. I was watching, but not. I wasn't out there. But I'm oh, gonna I to see a
1: video. I it. I've always wanted to see a video of him actually in training camp, like him one on ones, because they had to hide him from the media.
0: Yeah, man. I I, I don't have. I don't have any B, Matt Khalil B-roll in my head that I can even go back to from back then, you know, like nothing.
1: If you have like a a free gap at work at all, and all, you're just having conversations with some of the guys at six ten. If you can ask and see if anybody has some grainy cell phone footage of Matt Khalil pass protecting in training camp, I would love to see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, I'll I, buy
1: you I'll buy you lunch for a thirty second clip of it.
0: You, hey, I, I can assure you that it's not in the Texans' FTPs that they send out. I bet you it's not there. Well, I was gonna say I could search that, but that's not where I'll find it. It had to been, it had to been a, uh, you know, a Berman or Aaron Wilson type to have captured captured such a historic moment in in uh, in Texans' history. Yeah, so. but I
1: feel the same way too. How like I wanted to see him at left tackle. If you're gonna draft him there, and because they didn't let him play that position. It kind of led to the cascade effect, too. And the other thing was like, Max Sharping. Like, I've watched the video and like, I'm not an full scout, but it's really obvious that Sharping can't play offensive tackle in the NFL because he had a bad pass set and everything else. And they moved him to guard. So they used, you know, their two of their top, you know, picks on two offensive tackles. Another one played offensive tackle to start off week one. They both played guard. And like, it's just a mismanagement of resources at that position. And, you know, the offensive line's been bad since. 2015, you know, that was the last time they had a really good offensive line, and now yeah. here we are, eight years, eight years later, or six years later, something like that. I don't know. Six years later, we're still kind of talking about continuity and a new offensive line coach and investing the position and everything else. It's just like they've just failed at managing the position in general, no matter you know how you want to cut it out. Uh, but I am hoping that Howard stays that offensive tackle. And I'm excited to watch the video tomorrow and kind of see how he fared there. Like, I only, I only caught those two sacks, gave up. One was the blitz pick up. One was the bull rush. And like, other than that, like, I didn't see, I watched him the rest of the time and didn't see any problems at all. Like, he didn't look like one of those guys who was wearing, you know, a, a wrong pair of shoes, I moving mean, from the right to the left-hand side, like yeah. we've seen with other guys. And he used to, like, he looked good at the left at the left tackle spot and he's player every position. And he's just a good athlete. And he does. Yeah. Howard kind of does remind me of Dwayne Brown too, not like the skill level, but just he's so wide, you know, like it's yeah, really hard to get around him. Yeah, they have a similar yeah. bill and they're really incredible athletes. And so I hope that he's able to to stick around there. The big problem, though, is that next year after restructuring Larry Tunsil, Tunsil here has a, a cap, I believe, of twenty six million dollars next season. And so, like, with that, like, enormous roadblock, you know, facing them, I don't know what they're going to do because you can't really – I don't mean, think you could pay a left tackle, a cap at $26 million, without extending him or just waiting like post him first and moving on with the trade. Um, but I have no idea what they're going to with that left tackle going forward.
0: Yeah, man, I I don't know. I, I figure, like – you figure Laramie Tunsil can be good for a long time like players at that position play well for a long time but he's
1: 27 so you think like good for 10 more years as a pass protector
0: yeah but but you gotta also remember they they don't talk about Laramie Tunsil the way they talk about you know Brandon Cooks and the way they used to talk seem to talk about Justin Reed before all of this shenanigans this past weekend like He's not really one of those guys, if you know what I mean. Um, so I I like I'm interested in in how he fits into the whole culture dynamic of everything going forward, especially at at the price that um at the price that you have to pay for him. One thing about Titus Howard I wanted to just mention though, that is different, like the whole position change thing that we were talking about that stood out to me and that, that like bothered me. It's like, I, you, you know, you think about that draft class, right? The 2019 draft class, we were talking about Sharp and Of course, Lonnie Johnson, we mentioned earlier, was somebody else who they kind of yo-yoed around a little bit from position to position or from at least from corner to safety, back to corner. And at least with Lonnie uh, and, and there was potential, like, I don't want to be unfair to Lonnie and say that he didn't show any potential at, at corner, but like I, I think they saw some issues there that made them think, okay, let's just move him to safety. He's a big old dude. He can be a thumper, you know, like we can and he's got corner skills, we can figure that out. But that to me was more about perform like what they saw performance wise. And I could see the logic in it. Whereas with with Titus, I don't really I just don't get it. Yeah, I'm that like, makes I'll- sense. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out. Like, I can see how you can go in, look at the tape, and say, "Okay, you know what? We, we might need to move around, play play around with Lonnie a little bit, figure out exactly where he fits best." But I don't see how they looked at the tape and were like, "Not Titus needs to improve, or Titus needs to do this better. It needs to be better with this technique, or with his hands, or be be more physical in the run game. Whatever it is, whatever the critique is, instead of it being that, it was we're gonna move him to a whole other position." You know, like I, I don't, I don't understand how that was part of the eval, and I, I wish I got a better answer as to why, why that was the case. You know, like, like how is it? You know, I said earlier, who's going to beat him at right tackle? Who's going to beat him out of that job? Marcus Cannon, Charlie Heck, and then, and then what is it about him performing at that position that makes him like, okay, we got to move all the way to the left guard? Like, and to me, the just the eval process just never made sense to me.
1: Yeah, I love the way you put that as little, too. Like, I didn't know Howard said that in training camp, but that's a great way to put it. And it seemed like they did it because they traded for Marcus Cannon. And, like, Nick is there, loves Marcus Cannon for whatever reason. And I think it was, like, they liked the culture of Marcus Cannon, you know, playing right tackle. And whenever they trade for him, it's just like, well, he's going to play guard. Like, I didn't think his pass would fit, not pass protecting for Tom Brady. Like, he was fine this year, but he wasn't, you know, I think worth a trade in changing your entire offensive line and moving a young player out of position um, to do that as well, too. So I want to, we're getting a little bit longer, longer in the show here. And I have one more big question I want to ask you before we end tonight's show. Um, since we, you know, This is how it's been to every single time I've done the podcast this year for the last like month or so where, you know, we watch the game and think, okay, we're going to talk about this in the game. It just turns into these like long, like, you know, moral macro uh, existential co- uh, conversations about like yes. 3 a.m. Like, what's the meaning of the sort of conversations that, yes. hey, the Jets changed things up in the second half. They had a good outside zone game. They had mm. a good jet sweep game. Uh, yep. They got you know, Zach Wilson throwing in rhythm more often because the Texans kind of got mismanaged and outplaced because of how good the outside zone game was or whatever. But um, this week, offensively, the Texans are go- up against the worst defense in football. They have a whole secondary that's really bad. They have a trio of bad cornerbacks. who are all under the age of 25, and they're trying to figure out you know what to do with some of these guys out there. And the Texans still only managed to, you know, put up two touchdowns against this team. Um, it's a bad Jets team. And their second half was, you're really terrible also. And it's also the second week in a row where Tyrod Taylor, you know, struggled to didn't break 200 passing yards. Also, what do you, well, like, what, what's your biggest blame on the problems with this offense this week? Or is it Tim Kelly? Is it Tyrod Taylor? Is it the offensive line? Is it the rushing attack? Uh, where do you put the onus on the problems with the offensive performance this week?
0: I was going to say, when you were asking, is it, is it, is it, I was going to say, yes. The, <laughs> the, the short answer is yes. All, all, all of those things. Like, so Tyrod Taylor, we are, we know is limited. Okay. As a, as a passer, I think just real quick on Tyrod, I think the, the thing that makes him better to, than Davis Mills is, are only two things experience and athleticism, you know, mm-hmm. now, He's obviously a better athlete and more mobile than Davis Mills, but the experience part is the disappointing thing that hasn't seemed to really come into fruition the last few weeks or the last couple of weeks since he's been back. It's like, okay, at least he's going to make better decisions because of the experience, right? He's going to take care of the ball. That's kind of been his reputation or or stated reputation. And it's like, Oh, that hasn't necessarily been the case, you know? Uh, so that, that part of it has been disappointing. But, I mean, the the play call, I don't feel like has at any point really, uh, I don't feel like they've done themselves any favors. Isn't and I, I'll have to go back and watch the second half again I, on my rewatch. I, I didn't get past, I, haven't, I have not gotten past the second quarter yet. But I will say that I, I, I wish, for the Texans' sake, that there was more, that there were more drives like the one that, Brandon Cook scored the 40-yard touchdown. Oh, yeah. I thought that that was actually a fine. I thought that drive was fine. Play calling, execution. Uh, I mean, they got a couple of Burkhead runs. They had taken a shot to uh, to Nico Collins that they just missed, but he was open. You know, and I was like, oh, we were all like, oh, deep shots. Who knew? You know, and they did it. And and then again, you know, a couple of plays later, they hit, they hit Cooks. I thought that that drive was the perfect illustration of what they needed to be you know if they could just some find a way to replicate that and they just did not um and and so I I would I would say that there's a lot of blame to go around the Tim Kelly thing honestly and I I know you just mentioned how the podcast become you know go from breaking down the game to us just sitting here and thinking man this is the whole thing that went wrong it's like Tim Kelly like I had high hopes for the guy this year and i gonna tell you why I thought it was going to benefit this guy to be able to get out from under the wing of Bill O'Brien. The only guy he's ever really been influenced by all these years for a decade plus, however long it's been. And to get these new voices, these new minds kind of, kind of help him out. And that I, I thought it would make him a better sort of a better play caller. And I think at times it has, like, I don't think Tim Kelly has been bad all the time, like all bad all the time, but it it, it just, it's just a weird fit. You know, and I and I don't I don't really fully understand it. Uh, their commitment to running the ball at times. Uh, it's like, come on, guys! Like, yeah, I'm trying to remember what which which drive was it where it's they it's incomplete on first on first and ten and then second and ten hand the ball off to David Johnson. You know? Yeah, like, I can
1: see in my head right now. I know players. what they are know we doing?
0: What is that? Like, what is that? And I'm not pretending to be like, I could go in there and call plays for you, but I like, I know that's not it. That's not the look. That should never be what the look is, you know? And then of course, what, what happens? One yard, third and nine. And then, uh, and then I got to go in the press conference and hear David Cully talk about, and all the everybody else talk about how we need to stay ahead of the chains. You know, we, we just got behind the chains and we you know when you're behind the chains, you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, like, damn it! Don't run David Johnson on second and <laughs> ten uh, after you've you know after you got an incomplete on on first down. Like, like you can help yourselves a little bit. Like on top of the fact that you're not very talented and all these things. So, I mean, I think there's enough blame to go around. Not to be, not to afford to be a cop out answer. But I, I think you could. I think I, I like. I don't see any good guys here. Like I I, I don't see any protagonists in this story. Like, everyone's an antagonist for me. If I look around, like, no, you're a problem. Your decision-making sucks. Um, You guys don't, you know, don't necessarily pick up blitz as well. Um, Tyrod, I I thought the Jets did a good job of keeping him contained in the pocket and not letting him do – Seth Payne was talking about this too, uh, Sports Radio 610, of how they did a much better job than the Titans did of not letting him beat them with their legs and get outside the pocket. Ah, uh, which is where his value really comes. That—that's the difference. The reason why the the argument for Tyrod versus Davis Mills, right? Because there—I mean—there were some advanced metrics out there that were saying that these guys are basically. I don't even know if it was advanced, but just a couple, a couple yeah, of stats they're, I saw. They're—they're they're the same yeah, they're guy.
1: Kind of the same DVOA and EPA yeah. and all that, you know. But yeah. it's like Mills is propped up by that one game against New England, where he made three throws. he's not made again this year, unless you count like him hitting Cooks down sideline. And by 30 plus points, the Rams, you know?
0: Yeah. And then, and then of course the Miami game for, for Tyrod is probably uh, a, a, an extreme counter example, right. For, for him. So, I mean, you got to factor all of that in, uh, into, into all of it, but yeah, man, I just, I I, I, I look at the offense and think, man, what, what would they be if they, you know, they hired an off uh, an offensive coach, who could call plays like think about that yeah. they hired an offensive coach and like we're, we've been kind of prodding Cully the last couple of weeks uh, and I I know I've done it and uh Cody Stoots did it after the uh after the game on Sunday like hey man you're an offensive coach you know and and I think we're kind of using the the intel of Dan Campbell doing this already in Detroit you know taking over play calling even though that hasn't necessarily worked out great Yeah, uh, but we're, we're thinking okay, hey. It, it it's your turn. It's your time to shine here. You know, like you, we know you've never been a coordinator. We know you never call plays, but you know, maybe you, maybe you should take over play calling or consider it or have a, I think the question I asked a couple of weeks ago was have do you right after the buy, right after it came back from the buys, like, are you going to take a greater role in the play calling or in the, you know, the offensive game plan or maybe whatever your script is like, are you kind of a little bit more heavy handed with it? And he has just been steadfast in this whole Tim Kelly's my guy thing, um, which is is perplexing to me. You know, especially for an offensive coach, it is, it is mind boggling that you would hire an offensive coach and have all of these other options like Pep Hamilton, a much more experienced coach than Tim Kelly. You know, like I would, I would imagine that Pep Hamilton is probably the most qualified play caller on the staff. He's not calling plays. Uh, David Cully's not doing. He's, for what it's worth, an experienced, longtime offensive coach. Not calling plays. You know, it it it's 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 an odd thing to me that you would hire an offensive coach who you don't even feel like could call plays for you. Like, would you do that on the defensive side? Like, would you hire Lovey Smith as your head coach, and not expect him to be able to take over defensive play calling if it called for it, if it was necessary? Like, absolutely not. You know, so it's just a strange thing to me.
1: Yeah, it's like the anti-Bill O'Brien where he would take plays over all the time from his offense coordinator, yeah. you know, consistently here and here that he, like, he did it to Kelly uh, last year as well, too, whenever they kind of fell behind. And did it with George I mean, Gatsby like, early? Yeah, and Godsey's yeah. coaching, you know, to Miami throwing a quick pass offense that's, like, been okay, <laughs> you know, the past yes. few weeks also, which is, you know, so funny, too. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think, like, we've seen Taylor before. Like, Taylor's, like, a below-average quarterback. But he hasn't even found below average. And aside from week one against Jacksonville, Kelly really hasn't had a game plan. And you like that New England game, too, I think that was just kind of Mills making throws outside the structure, aside from the flea flicker, like where throwing isn't made again at all whatsoever. But it's like this game that the play action drag flat RPO is just the Bill Bryan thing all over again that doesn't really work at all anymore. It's window dressing. And it worked once in this game because. You know, uh, Robbs threw a nice block, and Taylor was able to get a good run out of it, which is like a good thing about having Taylor, like you mentioned. They ran a lot; they were a real run-heavy offense. Uh, Burkhead and Johnson combined for you know sixty-six rush yards on twenty-two carries, which is three yards a carry. You a lot of terrible screen passes. They try to run toss plays; they didn't get anywhere. You're going up against one of the worst secondaries in football. You only take two deep shots. One, because Taylor misses Nico Collins in in double coverage in his quarters. The second, he's able to hit Brand Cooks against quarters. That actually worked out. Do that, you know? Like, that's open. It was open there the entire game. And instead, they're running this, like, risk-averse, run-plotting, Rex Burkhead inside zone running, toss play, screen pass, flat passing offense because it's efficient. I don't know. You keep your head the chains. It keeps the clock moving. But, like, they could have scored – so twenty eight points easy against the shifts defense, but I think Tim Kelly had an active role in limiting the offense, and like a Power Taylor offense shouldn't be thirty second DVOA, you know, like he's not as bad as Jared Goff is, and uh, and so like I think it's on Kelly, like Kelly did the bare minimum thing with Watson by running an empty spread five wide receiver offense that we've been clamming for for years for years with Watson, but he did the bare minimum with him. I think keeping here was keeping him here was like a half hearted attempt to like. You know, appease the John Watson after that uh, didn't do until the last off too. But I don't know. I just really don't. I think Tim Kelly's done a bad job aside from beating up on like a really badly coached Jaguars team, it was somehow probably the only team worse coached than the Texans are. And I think this was another just awful uh, Tim Kelly game plan again too.
0: Yeah, and and not to make a an excuse for Tim Kelly, but I I do wonder what is it like for him in the moment. And maybe imagine for yourself, what would it be like in the moment watching that offensive line and how, like, watching them lose matchups of might affect your play calling and what you think the offense might be capable of. Because I think like a lot of casual observers, too, might not consider how much, hey, can this guy black, block that guy? You know, can this guy block that guy and how much that factors into whether or not you're going to call that play. And if you don't feel like you can, you know, how much is how much of your playbook or, or, you know, how, how much are you throwing out the window uh, when you look at, you know, just getting beat up up front, you know, um, out, outmanned up front? Like, what do you do with that? Um, but I mean, even to that point, though, like, like you said, they had the this, this I example, mean, we just pointed out in the second quarter, like that was the template. That was the model of what, you know, it was nice balance. Like they ran the ball, but they took their shots. Um, and and again, you talk about the, you know, beating against quarters, like they, they, (laughs) he just missed Nico, Nico Collins was still open on that play. You know what I mean? He's open right this second, you know, waiting for the ball to hit him or, you know, still chasing the ball that it was overthrown, you know, like, and, and of course, like I said, they, they, they hit, obviously they hit Brandon cooks for the touchdown. It was like, okay, guys, this work. It'd be one thing if, like it hadn't worked, but they saw it work and then went away from it. I mean, that to me is inexcusable.
1: Yeah, and, and also like we've seen teams beat the Jets with it all year, also. Like this isn't like a new thing or whatever. Like the, the templates there. Like I watched the Carolina Panthers do it with Sam Darnold earlier this year, you know, where like they ran they ran great, you know, pass concepts to attack the Jets for defense and they had a bad offensive line and they were able to pull it off, you know, a few times in that game also. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I think the game plan is worse than what the offense probably is. And it just goes back in line with like the offensive line mismanagement, the run team, they try to be an outside the zone scheme, but they'll have no players to do so. And now kind of like how Willie Smith was, they're having to refigure everything else because the idea they had in the summer, doesn't really work with the talent they have. And now with Taylor is just like, again, it's like, I think it's just supposed to be like efficient, your know, ball control clock turning offense. And, when you throw an incomplete pass in the flat, or you get you lose one yard running power behind McCray with David Johnson, now your entire offense is completely toast. And now you're punting, you know, two plays later because you don't to even stress anybody on third and nine. You throw a bad screen pass instead.
0: Uh, can I derail you with a with a QB question? QB is okay. the future question? Because I've been thinking about this since yesterday, maybe even before, a couple of days before. What do you do at quarterback? next year if that guy like say there's nobody in the draft that's better than davis mills and i don't I don't see the need to draft another davis mills you already got one so say that there that guy doesn't exist which i don't think most of us think does do you bring tyrod taylor back or are you in the market for trade for jimmy garoppolo or something like extreme like that like do you think anything sexy is going to happen at the quarterback position for the Texans before 2023 when they might be able to get a, a legitimate quarterback out of the draft?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with the way – I don't know enough about the draft for now, but like everything I see, like the way it's kind of set up, I think you can still find – like using a first-round pick on a quarterback isn't necessarily a bad thing, even if it doesn't work out, but it's like sticking around, hanging on to that first-round p- quarterback instead of like actually – I mean, to yourself, like you made a bad decision. He's not very good. And like the Carlos did with Josh Rosen, like Josh Rosen was bad. Instead of rather than hang on Josh Rosen, they went and got Kyler Murray. And they were able to change things around from there. I think you have to take somebody in the first two rounds, though, at least from a developmental aspect, and then kind of ride the quarterback carousel. Like if Taylor's the quarterback next year, you're kind of potting 2022 without any like, allure of the development. And like, I don't think Davis Mills is good. Like, I didn't think he was good in Stanford. He hasn't been good this year. I don't think he's going to be good. I'd rather, like, maybe see Davis Mills for a full year with a backup behind him because at least, like, you're having some sort of idea of what like you're taking chances for the future, you know? And so I wouldn't want to see Taylor again for another year just because of that. But uh, I think you have to at least, like, you know, do your due diligence and hopefully find some quarterback you can take the first round if you have, like, two or three first-round picks, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I've changed my tune on this because, you know, Tyrod had those first six quarters or whatever it was and then he was gone and i was like oh well maybe maybe tyrod could could be your bridge quarterback until you figure it out until you find that guy and then he comes back and it's like uh no nah, he's he is who we thought we who we thought he was and you know well, it's, it's,
1: it's, it's like the cleveland game too like he had casper screen that was a touchdown and he ran for another touchdown uh, that was their offense in that first half before he got hurt and So so like, i wouldn't say it was fluky like that was a a good screen is on. That was a good run by Taylor. That's kind of like the game against Tennessee like they play quarters the red zone. He ran for touchdowns because he became his own flat defender or his own, the own, he became his own flat option, you know, too. But I just yeah. don't really, like, I think like the team's in such a spot where like as interested people are right now, if they ran out Tyrod Taylor again next year, like, you know, I don't know how that would improve like the interest in the team or anything like that. But I do think as long as you don't have a quarterback, you have to constantly make, decisions to try to find the quarterback and i wouldn't trade for garoppolo at all but i would look for your younger talent but you know, may there's a veteran who a team decides like isn't that guy at all anymore that you can take a chance on i would do that for garoppolo but who knows who kind of pops up next year too
0: yeah no i have no interest in garoppolo personally but i just i just look at the obvious connections and and, and can't like i don't want to say i i, I I fear it because, like, I don't want Garoppolo, but I'm not going to, like, throw a I'm fit if they do it. Yeah. I'm yeah. of it. He, You're horrified like, of it.
1: Yeah, he's just, like, he's he's not an accurate passer. He's bad against pressure. Yeah. He can't throw the deep ball at all. And it's, like, also, you know, a team is going to probably trade a second or third round pick for Garoppolo, but they're going to buy into it. It's like, I'd rather just try and make a run at Jameis or make a run at Bridgewater or make a run at, like, one of these quarterbacks who kind of had like a weird spot, you know, where they were a one-year contract and didn't work out exactly. I'd rather do that than to see yeah. to actually give them draft capital for somebody who you know is average, you know, in a really good offense and of yeah. garbage. So the Texans don't run like a really well-schemed offense. The four diners do, and even with that. Like rafa has never been like a, a, a exceed outside the structure of that offense quarterback.
0: Yeah, I'd be good with Jameis. I don't. I don't think. I feel like Bridgewater. I I would feel similarly to how you feel about Garoppolo. Um, I'd probably feel about both of them, but Winston would interest me. Um, But I'm I'm more along the lines of what you're saying about draft, just drafting a quarterback and just keep taking swings, even if you miss. You know, like there's no such thing as striking out. Like you you get like you get if you get a pick every year. Just pick one, yeah. pick a quarterback until you find them. Uh, I've, I've sold myself on that philosophy more and more, which is, you know, like I didn't like the Davis Mills pick. I wouldn't have drafted Davis Mills. I don't know if I would have drafted any of the quarterbacks outside the ones that were drafted in the first round, but I I was able to talk myself into it really quickly. Cause I'm like, well, I mean, it's just a third round pick. If, you know, if yeah. it doesn't work out and at the, at, you know, his ceiling or his floor, I should say is backup backup quarterback and if if this guy's your backup quarterback for three seasons or whatever i don't think that's the worst thing in the world uh, the the worst way to spin your third round pick but i would like to see them keep taking swings at it and hey man like find that find that guy like it is it is actually their job to evaluate and scout and find and actually find the guy who's better than we think he is or realize that he is so i'd like to actually Mm -hmm. see them do their job so
1: yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Mills, it's like, if you take him, you can't play him this year because he wasn't ready at all, and they failed him by not having an actual backup, and they thought Ryan Finley was it, but it wasn't it. And, like, right. I could have told you that. like I watched Ryan Finley play two years ago. He's not very good at all. And uh, and so, I mean, I just thought, like, with Mills, I'd rather, like, take a guard or a defensive tackle or a cornerback where you just have something, like, like, Paul and Day, but, like, you can take a corner or whatever who you know, may be bad or whatever his first year, like, struggle at times, but At least there's some sort of like tail athleticism we can mold into something else where like it's it's a spot where you just have so many holes across the roster where quarterback is the least of your worries. And so I didn't like it, but I like the idea of it now or where they're at, kind of seeing what tail looks like and everything else too. Um, So we've been doing this for a while, Brandon. It was good talking to you. I think uh, you're one of those people that you have talked to before, kind of like Steph and like Chris and other people where I think we probably talked for like six hours or something and never ran out of things to, to say at all. But uh, do you have any anything else that you want to add in here? And then if not, or if if so, uh, where can we catch your work later on in the week or uh, as we go throughout the rest of this fall season?
0: Uh, I was just going to warn everybody that anytime that Matt has me on or anytime you guys hear me, it's going to be long-winded. I don't have, I don't know, short sentences. Uh, I grew up in like church. I don't, I don't go anymore, but I, I grew up in church where like you'd be there all day. Cause somebody would just be talking and talking and talking. So I can talk, man. I can talk for as long as we need to. And I, and like, I enjoy doing it. A uh, big fan of what y'all do at SB Nation at large, really. And, and especially the Battle Red blog. So uh, definitely a supporter of y'all and love what y'all do. Um, as far as, uh, as far I'm trying to think of uh, last things, because I know what's going to happen is we're going to, we're going to end this and I'm going to be like, man, you know what? I should have said this. Cause like I'm always thinking about something ridiculous that's going on, um you know, with this team, especially where we are now at this point. Um, but I, I I would just say that like I I'm I am actually ready to get to the off season, to like actually get to the point where I think fans wanna be. Cause I, I don't what I don't like, Matt, or what I'm trying to get across to you is like I don't like that's the whole. Like I, I got, I I'm not here for rooting for the losing. Like I I get it. Like I'm not I'm not dense. I'm not an idiot. I understand why there's like people want to lose and people want to rush to the draft pick and get there. I'm I'm with you in terms of like you the collective us right, the Texans fans and people who watched and root for the team. Like I, I'm I'm ready for that. But like it's hard for me in the moment during the week to be like yeah, man, I want to lose to the Jets. I want to lose to Zach Wilson. You know, like, I want to lose to the team that has the the least efficient defense. Would you say they were, let me look at the DV. You said the DVOA is last? They're last the in DVOA? Last. Yeah, they're, last. they're last in DVOA. I don't even know if I noticed that. I I looked at everything. I don't know if I noticed that. I was probably looking at more text and stuff. But I don't want, I don't want to lose to the team that's last in DVOA. I don't want to do that. I think that that's that's embarrassing. I feel like you should have a little bit more pride than that, you know, as a team, as a fan base, wherever you are, like that sucks. So I am ready to get to the point where the games are behind us, the, the draft position is whatever it is, whether it's the second, third, fourth, whatever pick it is, and we can just move on from there because that will be a much more pleasant conversation when you're talking about the rebuild and you're not like living in the muck of it all. You know what I mean? So that that's just where I'm trying to get, man. Um, so yeah. Uh, other than that, though, uh, that that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think I write a Green Art Film Room and maybe one or two more before the end of the year. And I want to write like some playoff stuff because I like you know playoff football and for a preview like a review of that. And then once it ends, I uh, watch some draft stuff. And Fradens will be there as well too. um So where can we catch you on September Brandon? Do you have like a, a typical schedule? That yeah, so, that. so
0: so follow me on on Twitter at Brandon K Scott. I usually like announce ahead of time when I'm going to be doing something. Usually, I'm just uh filling in. I would say though, listen throughout because there's always some type of nugget throughout a show. Or you know, I'm at every press conference. I'm at every game. I'm 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 kind of like the eyes and ears of the station. So you can. You know, you can if you don't hear me on air, you'll hear one of my questions or you'll hear me sort of interacting with either a player or a coach or whatever it may be. And all, and really, all that is, is just to provide some clarity. Like, I'm kind of just a messenger in that way. Like, I got opinions and I got takes. But when I'm up there, I'm just trying to get the information and trying to get them to to answer questions for the record. You know, I know a lot of people wonder about some of the questions that get asked or don't get asked. And honestly, sometimes we, we just got to have it on the record. Like, even if we don't feel like we're going to get a great answer or if we don't feel like it's going to produce great audio. So I'm that guy, you know, I'm the one that's there trying to find, tr- find, trying to find the answers that are both good sound bites, but also are just for the record that need to be asked and answered. So I'm doing that. Um, so follow me at Brandon K. Scott. And if you follow six tens, uh, social media accounts at sports radio, Six Ten that is by proxy following me as well. That that's either something that I'm doing or allowing to happen. So whatever you see there, good, bad, or indifferent, I either did it or allowed it to happen. I am responsible in one way or the other.
1: So. Yeah. I like the way it's like, you are, you are the, the whole thing. You are six ten. 10. So in any shape or form, like he's there as well too, but. The, the digital see direct,
0: sure. yeah. yeah.
1: That's cool. And also you have a great podcast as well um and if you can find if you follow him on twitter you can see the podcast uh for it too it's a lot easier to find than he say it than you to look it up just follow me on twitter make sure to you keep your eyes out whenever he has stuff going on and uh the podcast is really worth subscribing to as well too um well, i'm sure we'll talk uh maybe if, if not during the season but sometime in the season we'll have to do this again and maybe next time I'll, I'll carve out four hours so we can actually get to all this stuff that you know we wanted to get to before the, the show started um those talking to you finally in person brandon sort of uh, but until next time i'm at weston thank you for listening to ballard radio thank you for being on time brandon
0: thanks for having me man.